All right, well, good morning. Thank you, choir, for leading us in those uh, good songs. We're glad that you're here at First Baptist Church Valley Springs with us today, and I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Ezra chapter 3. Ezra chapter 3. While you're finding your way there, um, I recently read that neurologists are narrowing in on their understanding of the part of the human brain that controls happiness and joy and pleasure. Uh, Some have called it the joy center, the joy center of the human brain. And I read that it's located in the right orbital prefrontal cortex, if any of you want to go there right now and touch that. I'm not sure exactly where that is, but that's what I read. And they were talking about the joy center, that it's actually a part of our brains. One article said that, uh, you know, many parts of our brains um, slow down or cease to develop once we get through childhood. But the joy center, according to one article, continues to develop through all of life. Isn't that amazing to think about that we can continue to grow and grow and grow in our capacity for joy? You know, something that should be obvious to us all is that we are hardwired. Humans are hardwired, created by God for enjoyment, for celebration. Unfortunately, though, that may not be our experience through all of life. In fact, I know many people uh, come to the point where life has gotten messy, things maybe even in their brains and in in their lives and their hearts have gotten contorted, certain areas have been neglected, certain bad things have happened, and they no longer seem to experience gladness and joy. And that's a shame. And I'll tell you what's a shame also is that many Christians seem to be totally devoid of happiness and joy. A little, you know, we can get as Christians a little too morose, a little too serious. All right. And I do think that when we come to worship, we are supposed to worship with a reverence towards God, but also with a sense of gladness. Many of our songs that we sang even this morning led us to think about that. You know, while I'm happy to leave the neurology and biochemistry of joy to the scientists, I do think that there's something we need to see there and think, and think about. And as we turn back to Ezra chapter 3 this morning, I want us to notice something important in Israel's history. As they're coming back from captivity in Babylon to re-inhabit the land, and really they're rebuilding their entire culture, if you will, because they have been gone. There have been things they have not experienced, things that have been missing from their lives. And as we see this cultural, national, religious rebuilding of Ezra chapter 3, there's something there that I want to show you that speaks to this very idea of joy and happiness, gladness and celebration. So the first thing that we saw is well, they came back from Babylon and they kind of got their houses halfway in order. You know, the different families went to their different cities, but as soon as they got things unpacked and settled in, they came to Jerusalem. It says as one man, they were united. And the first thing, if you'll remember way back a couple of months ago, the first thing they did was reestablished what? The altar, the very center point there that would be eventually surrounded by the temple there in the capital city of Jerusalem. And so we took that and we went on a long roundabout study of worship. But what did they do next? 
What happens next? After you reestablish that place where now you have met with God. Remember the altar is that place where they would meet with God. They would have their sins forgiven. They would experience the blessedness of God's presence. Well, what do you do then? Let's read Ezra chapter 3. I think I messed up on the verses, and, and uh, we're going to back up and give you a few more verses than I originally said. Let's look at Ezra 3, verses 3 through 6. All right? So they set up the altar on its foundation, for they were terrified because of the peoples of the lands, and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, burnt offerings morning and evening. Now, we established that several months ago. So they, they've got the, the offerings and the sacrifices going. What did they do next? Verse 4. They celebrated the Feast of Booths, as it is written, and offered the fixed number of burnt offerings daily, according to the ordinance, as each day required. And afterward, there was a continual burnt offering, also for the new moons and for all the fixed festivals of the Lord that were consecrated, and from everyone who offered a freewill offering to the Lord. But notice in verse 6, from the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, but the foundations of the temple of the Lord had not yet been laid. So they got the altar in place. They kind of got worship figured out, you know, coming and meeting with the Lord. But before they even got back to building the temple, what did they do? They celebrated. Today, we, I want us to think together about celebration, celebrating as God's people. That's what they did celebration and feasting. Let's walk through and think about this simple topic this morning of the people of God in celebration. The people of God in celebration. And here's the first thing I want to point out to you. That we have a God of celebration. Celebration comes from the Lord himself. God is the one that commanded the feasts and the festivals and all of these different things that were a part, really, of their worship. You know, it appears to me from reading the Bible, though it would be easy to overlook this, because we get stuck in our ways of thinking about God and what we're supposed to do in relation to God, it's apparent to me that God loves celebration. God loves corporate expressions of gladness and joy in his presence. There are over 400 references to joy and rejoicing found in the Bible. In some of the um, descriptions of heaven, and again, I think even Brandon mentioned this this morning, there is singing before the very throne of God, the myriad of angels, the saints around the th throne are pictured in Worship, and I think we often think about, well, it's just, it's just singing. Folks, it's a celebration. That's what it is, of seeing God. They are celebrating. Celebration is near and dear to the heart of God. He even commands it. Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven. He said the kingdom of heaven is like a king who threw a wedding banquet for his son. We see that the description of when Christ comes and he gathers his church to himself, it is called the marriage supper of the Lamb. Folks, that's the biggest party of parties. It's a celebration. God loves celebration. And again, I'm going to argue that, that Christians tend to be a little bit too down in the mouth. The very message, our central 
thing, our theme, our message that we have as the people of Jesus is called the gospel. And who can translate that word for me? What does the gospel mean? You know it. It's good news. It's good news. It's something to celebrate. When we come together as the people of Christ, we are celebrating being a part of what he is doing that is encapsulated in the good news. Here in our text, we see the Jewish observance of one of the major three annual festivals. There are three festivals given, and it's by law in the Old Testament that the Jews were to, um, to um, observe in a way that they had to bring all, all of the males at least. Now, they could bring their family, but it was required of the men. They had to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for three different feasts. The first one is Passover. And Passover, they were required to come to Jerusalem. And what were they celebrating in the Passover? They were celebrating the exodus from Egypt, the escape that God gave them from slavery. They were celebrating freedom. Freedom by the hand of God. The next one is Pentecost. Pentecost was associated with what they call the, the first fruits or the feast of weeks. And in that one, they were uh, celebrating the first fruits of the harvest. As the harvest was coming in, but they weren't just celebrating the harvest. The spiritual reason for the celebration is they were celebrating the fact that in the Old Testament, God had given them a word. He had given them the law through Moses there at Sinai. And of course, we know in the New Testament, what is Pentecost associated with? The giving of the Holy Spirit. God's guidance and his direction at Pentecost. But this, they are celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths, which would occur in the final ingathering of the fruits and the grains. This, is, this would be very akin to our Thanksgiving. It's bringing in the harvest, and they're having this big celebration. And the thing they were remembering in the Feast of Booths was their wilderness wandering. Now, God had brought them out of Egypt, out of slavery, and he had promised them. He had promised Abraham, and they were his descendants. God had promised them a land overflowing with milk and honey, a productive land that he is going to give them as a nation. It is going to be their promised land. But for 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness. What did they live in? Not in homes, exactly. Not in houses. They lived in tents, little temporary dwellings. And when they would celebrate the Feast of Booths for about seven days, what they would do is they would go into their fields and each family would build a booth out of sticks and leaves. We call that camping today. Very few people do that. Most of you, if you camp, you RV, right? We, we've wised up a bit. But these people would leave the comfort of their home and their families would build these little booths and tents. And in those, they would eat their meals together. But it wasn't just their tent out in the wilderness. It was these booths and they would just be lined up there in Jerusalem. All of the different families celebrating in their little temporary tabernacles. And they would remember the hand of God bringing them through the wilderness all those 40 years and how he fed them and he clothed them and he gave them water and he led them. The Feast of Booths was a personal enacting of the beautiful story of God, specifically the lesson, hey, listen to this, that even in the 40 years of hardship and suffering, God had not forsaken them. 
His promise was still true. He was leading them. And they would celebrate it at a time of harvest when they actually were living in the land. They had finally come to fruition. The promise had been fulfilled to Abraham, at least in the land. And they would take in and they would, we, they would harvest and they would have all of these foods and they would feast and they would recognize the fulfillment of that promise. Now, as the exiles have come back to Israel, what are they doing? They're reenacting really the same thing. For a generation, they have been gone. They have been exiled in Babylon, away from the promised land. But God has brought them back. And the very first thing they do after they establish the altar, the place of meeting with God, was to celebrate with this big harvest festival. They were living out the story of God's gracious provision for them in the promised land. I'm going to just say this to you. We serve a God who loves a good party. And he doesn't just put up with it. He commands the celebrations of his people. And I love that. So we have a God of celebration. Now let's think for just a minute about the good of celebration. Why is celebration critical? Why was it important back then and why is it important for us today? As I was studying through the different biblical festivals and feasts and celebrations, one of the things that I noted someone had, had uh, written in a, in a um, I think it was a Bible encyclopedia, that there were at least in and around six major themes associated with these various festivals and the feasting and the celebrations of God's people. In other words, what did they get out of it? What was the point? What seemed to emerge out of these celebrations? And so I'll just list them for you pretty quickly as we're thinking about how do we celebrate? Why would God have us to celebrate? Number one, these festivals and celebrations, like this one is seven or eight days. Seven or eight days. It's a vacation. It's a breaking of the monotony of the labors of life. First, it broke the monotony of the routines. Now, some of you really love your routines, and you hate the very thought of them breaking. I tend to be on the other end of the spectrum. You know, I, and, and, and my routine is there is no routine. All right? So, so, but God commanded that there be these breaking of the daily labors and monotony. Now, listen, the people of God were not to feast every day. They were not to do that. In fact, it's... Um, really condemned that you live a life where you're constantly just, just uh, in lavishness and luxury, all right? But there are seasons where we break from our normal works and labors. And in breaking from that routine, we see things with a fresh eyes, fresh set of eyes. And we're able to see some things and experience some things that we would not in the daily turmoil of life. So breaking the monotony, the second theme or motif uh, around these festivals is lavishness and abundance. It is called a feast, by the way, a feast. There was lots of food, lots of drink. There was lots of people. It was a good time dancing and happiness, and they didn't worry about money. They didn't worry about that. It was a lavish celebration. It was called feasting. And in that they remembered God's abundant provision that God would care for them in the future just as he has in the past and just as he is in this present day. So they didn't worry about money. Thirdly, there was a formal ceremony usually associated with it. This was the instructive or the teaching element. There would be very specific scripts and things that would be said 
And this would be repeated throughout the generations. It was meant to teach. Hey, not just to teach the young, though it did that. It taught the young people the stories of God. It was also meant to teach the old as a remembrance. It would remind them of God's hand in their lives and among their people. So there was formal ceremony. There was personal participation and sacrifice. Again, the festival or feast of booths or tabernacles, your family was required. Participating meant you went and you gathered up the sticks. This was something the kids could do. They would gather up the poles and the leaves, and as a family, you would come together and you would build your booth. You can imagine the different contests they would have and decorating up the booth and and making it just a good time. But listen, it required personal sacrifice. And I feel like there's so many people, well, let me not preach on that just yet. I'll get back to that. Personal participation and sacrifice. Do you know it was a major offense? It was a major offense for you to, number one, neglect participation. It wasn't just an optional thing. This was part of the law. God demands, commands that we learn to celebrate in this way. And so it was a major offense to neglect. It was a major offense to skimp. Skimp means Hey, hey, go get the worst of the sheep we've got. Let's don't take a good one, for goodness sake. And it would skimp in all kinds of ways, pinching pennies. It was a major offense to grumble about participation. It's a good thing I'm not preaching this at Christmas. Amen? (laughs) So it required personal sacrifice. And that's a good thing. I think when we hear the word sacrifice, we think of pain. I think we should think of participation. It is me getting skin in the game. Making it real for our family. So it was personal participation and sacrifice. Hey, listen, it was done in community. It wasn't just a private affair. It wasn't just our little family. It was a community thing. And it brought unity and solidarity to the people of God. Sixth thing, there was a clear, overt Godward focus. It was God-focused. They made sure that they didn't lose sight of God in the midst of the hustle and bustle. It was a spiritual celebration. It wasn't just celebrating that they had a good crop year. It was celebrating the God who had blessed them. It wasn't just celebrating that our family is healthy this year and we've been prosperous. No, it was looking to God. In fact, you, it's not too much of a stretch of the imagination to think that there would be people that came to the festival who had just experienced great loss. Maybe they were in the midst of great sadness. Maybe everything wasn't perfect. Hey, but I'll, I know this. There is always something to be thankful for that God is doing. And especially in our low times, we need celebration to pick us up And help us to see with different eyes. So celebration today, we take those six motifs around the festivals and the feasts of the Old Testament. And we can say some things about celebrating. About the good of celebrating. Number one is celebration helps multiply our joys. It helps multiply them. It's like hollering out a good thing in a cave. And it reverberates and it gets louder and others can hear it. And it echoes back to us. Celebration multiplies our joys and gladness And when it's a spiritual celebration, it multiplies our joys and our gladness in God. It helps us to be thankful. 
for what he is doing, even and especially right in the midst of hardship. It helps us have the eyes of faith to see that God is surely up to something good, even in the midst of our hardship. I would say this, celebration gives shape and meaning to our lives. It provides a rich texture. It provides some seasonal contours, some ebb and flow to our lives. I've already said, I mean, I'm biased. I don't like doing the same thing over and over and over again. And I think that we all look forward to special things. Special things. We put these things on our calendar, these events, and we look forward to them. And we begin to plan, what will we say, what will we do, what will we wear? What do I have to celebrate this year? It gives meaning. It's a time for us to share as the multi-generational people of God. This wasn't just a youth event. This wasn't just a senior adults event. This wasn't a married onlys event, young families event. It was a people of God event where the young and the old would come together and share life. It's a beautiful thing. I remember, you know, you can think back. I don't know if you had this kind of experience, but our family would come together my, um, on so many holidays when I was a kid growing up. One of my grandpas was a, a Southern Baptist preacher, so he liked to talk. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's just a job hazard. And uh, we would come together, and he was an old country boy from Mountain View, and he, man, he was a great storyteller. Still is, into his 90s. And we would come together, and I remember being a little pipsqueak. I'm like, man, I wish Grandpa would stop talking and we could just get to, the, get to lunch or whatever. The older I got, the more I appreciated hearing those stories and understanding about my family, where I came from, a little bit about why I am the way that I am, provided meaning, provided a context for my life. We don't even realize that's happening when we get together as the people of God, but it does, it's shaping us. It's giving meaning. It gives us a story to understand who we are as God's people. So important, so important. Celebration is a time for us to remember God's hand in the past, what he may be doing in the present, and it gives us hope for the future. If nothing else, I will tell you this, celebrations for God's people are powerful memory makers, memory makers and family makers. I can't tell you how many times I've gone to a celebration or a camp or a mission trip or something like that with God's people, just spending time together. And those become powerful memories Whitney was asking me the other day, what's your favorite trip you've ever taken? Favorite vacation or just trip? And one of the favorites was going on a trip to New Mexico, a family camp and mission trip with our church, where I don't know, 50, 60, 70 people went. Powerful, powerful things that shaped my life happened on that trip that otherwise seemed pretty innocuous. I mean, we were doing ropes courses and we were serving a little bit here, serving a little bit there, driving through a, a, a wicked lightning storm, you know. I had, a, I had a meltdown at the big Texan in Amarillo because my steak took too long. All kinds of, you know, there was good and there was bad. It was good and there was bad, but it was powerful. It made memories. It helped place me in the people of God, the faith community. So there is a lot of good to celebration. So God is a God of celebration. There is much good in celebration. I want to spend the rest of our time, just a few minutes together, thinking about grabbing hold 
of celebration in our lives today. The church as a celebrating community. And I wonder if you just step back for a moment and thought about what we do right here at First Baptist Church Valley Springs. If you thought about maybe our Sunday mornings or whatever, let's just, let's just say somebody new moved into the community. They don't know anybody. They haven't been anywhere else. They said, we're going to try out. We want to try out that church. We saw that nice digital sign down on the highway. And we're, and, and we're going to go in and check this thing out. And uh, would they come into this place and say these are a happy celebrating people? Or would they say, man, those people, I, I don't know if they got food poison this morning. I don't know what the problem is. What, what would they say? Well, he said, well, it wouldn't be fair to judge us based on one Sunday. What about if they came for six months? Would they find anything being celebrated? Or what would they find being celebrated in our church? And so it's just a great question. And I'm not saying that to, to point any fingers or say anything bad. It's just me trying to figure out, you know, what is the culture of First Baptist Church of Valley Springs? Do we have a celebrating culture and community in this church? I'm going to tell you something. The world is really, really good at celebrating and having a good time. Unfortunately, much of it is twisted or debauched. Much of it is tainted with sin. Some of it's unwholesome. Some of it's just totally stupid. I mean, it's just, it's just empty. People are just caught up in having things that really don't make a hill of beans about anything, but they're having a good time doing it. The world's good at celebrating. We're hardwired, created for celebration. What are we celebrating? How should we celebrate? And I, I, I say all this to say, and I'm going to get really practical here, or at least conceptual, because I'm not really sure what this looks like, but one of the big questions I'm asking, how do we as a local assembly grab on to this piece of worship, the celebrating community of the church. First Corinthians, Paul talks about the weekly gathering of the church. He calls it your love feasts. Your love feasts. You come together and you're feasting, number one, I think, on the love of Christ. Also, you're filled up with the love one for another. I think probably they were taking the Lord's Supper together. Usually there's a meal associated with a feast or a festival. Maybe it was not just the simple meal, it was a great big meal, and in that they did the Lord's Supper. But here's what I know. In their love feasts that were gospel-centered, surely they were thinking about the lamb who was slain for us. The Passover lamb who came once and for all. And in seeing Jesus lifted up and having died for our sins, I know that the culture, the atmosphere of that place would have been charged with the idea of God's great grace and love to us as Christians. I think it's essential that we figure out what does celebration and worship look like even on a weekly basis. Not just talking about the big three holidays that we celebrate. Even though we're coming up on one of those. What does that look like? How do we make intentional and focused in our corporate gatherings celebration? Now that doesn't mean that I think everything has to be all happy, clappy, smiley, and all of that all the time. There's room for repentance. There's room for talking about serious things. Again, I think we're supposed to worship in reverence and awe. Reverence and amazement. We should fear the Lord. We should, when we come together, be challenged to cast off sin and all of those things. But we should also be glad 
and the sacrifice that God has made for our sins in Christ. I think that weekly, and I've been talking with some of you about this very question. What, what do we celebrate? How do we celebrate? We can celebrate in song. I think that's a great place. Hey, it ain't going to hurt y'all to clap a little bit. Nod your head, tap your foot. If you want to get up, if you want to say amen, if you want to say oh me, if you want to say preach on, brother Sean, I don't care. There's room for interaction and celebration and gladness. I'm not the only one that can sh- holler and chat around here, by the way. I know some of y'all can do it. But, but is that all there is? So, so I'm beginning to ask, what would be a way that we could meaningfully celebrate as God's people? And I'll tell you, I'll just give you a little bit of a hint. I think towards the end of our service, maybe each week, is a time where we could somehow celebrate, listen, what God is doing in our midst. And so I'm, I'm trying to work with some folks, and I'll be asking some of y'all for your input. How do we gain this piece of weekly celebration as the people of God. I think we do need to learn to lean into the holy days, the holidays. We get in our ruts. We get got a big one coming up. Celebrating the resurrection in April. Celebrating Easter. So I think that we should take some cues from the Bible and go, man, let's make this really indeed a special time. Not just, listen, Not just falling back on what we've always done, though there's good in tradition. Let's put heart into our celebration. Renewed focus, interest, creativity, renewed service, renewed sacrifice, personal participation. Hey, renewed lavishness. We can spend a little more money. We can do things that capture this idea of feasting and celebrating God's provision. Next week, Lord willing, I believe I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be sharing some things with the church, with you guys, about what I see as the core values that we need to embrace here in the church. A little bit about vision for the days ahead, if you will, and I hope you'll be here for that. So I'm going to give you about four things that I see. These are the things we need to go hard after. We need to chase after. And again, they're they're fairly big principles. The next step will be, now we need to figure out how to walk this out in the places where we live, work, and play. How do we walk this out in our daily lives, but how do we walk this out when we come together to our worship services on Sunday? So we figure out kind of what we are after, what we're supposed to be doing. We figure out how to do that, and here's a key component. I want us to figure out how do we celebrate movement towards what we're chasing after. In other words, how do we celebrate faithfulness and what God is doing among his people? I tell you, I get texts from time to time or phone calls or get to visit with some of you and hear about what God is doing in your life. We need to figure out a way to get that out to where the entire congregation can be encouraged, where we can celebrate with you the things that God is doing in your lives. So that's some things to come just want to have a brief time of invitation and uh, hey it's uh, fortuitous that I'm preaching about celebration it's the last Sunday of the month we're going to celebrate our birthdays and anniversaries here in just a minute and we'll go out with a benediction but I want to give a little invitation to you this morning you know Jesus 
said that there are very few things that cause a big uproar and celebration in heaven more than one lost sheep, one sinner who returns to the Father. When someone comes to embrace Jesus Christ as their Savior, that causes a huge celebration in heaven. And the fact is, until you have been saved and have your sins forgiven, you really don't have anything eternal worth celebrating. But when you come to Christ and accept his death on your behalf, his salvation, his resurrection on your behalf, when you accept that by faith, you are born again into the family of God, into, listen, the single story of redemption that's found from cover to cover in the Bible. That's what these people were celebrating in Ezra. They were celebrating what God had done in the past with their granddaddies and grandmas and great-grandmas, but also the story that they were living out, God's provision and salvation for them. And that's the same thing that we are to celebrate is the salvation story that God has called us into. And I just want to ask you a question this morning. Are you a character in that story? Are you a part of the family of faith? Do you belong to Jesus? If not, come to Christ today. Accept that Jesus died for your sins. He was buried and he rose again. God raised him up to resurrection life and proves that he accepted Jesus' sacrifice. When you come to Christ by faith, your old self is dead to sin, dead to the flesh, and you are raised to eternal life. And he fills you with his Holy Spirit. And you are promised, you are promised an eternity with him. Death will not have the final say over you. Folks, that's something good that you need. Trust Christ today. Another way that you can respond to this message, and this is one for our members I would especially ask of you. Would you begin to pray about and think about helping helping me bring back or bring a culture of celebration and gladness and joy to our Sunday mornings? We've got to figure out what that looks like and we've got to do it. We've got to do it. So think about what does that look like to both worship and reverence but also in awe and gladness. How can we do that? And I'll tell you, it won't be us just sitting back, hiding from other people, and keeping our mouths closed. It's going to require some heart and some participation. I've seen some of y'all at ball games, by the way. <laughs> or cow shows. Or whatever. I've seen some of y'all. And I know you can get excited. <laughs> I know that you know how to celebrate. You can do that right here. You can celebrate as God's people. Oh, if any people in the world have a, re have a reason to celebrate, it's the people that have been born again and have eternal life, all right? So...
Let's practice. This is an easy one. We're going to practice celebrating birthdays and anniversaries. John's not here, so everything's all out of whack. We're going to celebrate birthdays and anniversaries this morning. Oh, I just thought of something. Let's just, let's, just, let's just raise the roof on this place. For people that have a birthday or anniversary in the month of March. Oh, y'all are getting scared, aren't you? Y'all are getting scared. All right. We're going to have a bigger celebration than the Arkansas Razorbacks had a few days ago. <laughs> they really messed up my opening for this sermon by losing last night. You know what I'm saying? But y'all saw this. How many of y'all watched some of that on TV? Y'all saw people, sane people paid for airline tickets to fly to California and put on hats that looked like a pig and wore their red and carried, I mean, they got, went nuts. Now, I want y'all to do that today, all right? Here's what we're going to do. Let's start like this. All right, we're going to celebrate birthdays. So if you had a y'all are scared. Don't look at me like that, all right? We're just practicing celebration on something pretty easy, something pretty easy. How many of y'all been to a birthday party before? How many of y'all had a birthday party before? No different, no different. There's no cake, there's no candles, you're just going to be hooting and hollering and all that. So if you had a birthday in March, just want you to come up. You're welcome to come up, and, and uh, if you've got an offering you want to put in a birdhouse, Put it in there, and then the rest of y'all, raise the roof on them. All right, come on. Who's first? Don't make me start. Yeah. <laughs> y'all get up. <laughs> How many? 74. 74. 39. 39. I feel like 71. I thought I was 17. Which is it? Which is it? I, um, 71! 59. 59. 59! Anybody else? Come on. <laughs> All right, y'all sit down. You're making a ruckus. All right. <laughs> All right, here you go. Anniversaries. Anniversaries. Anybody? Anniversaries. How many? Eight! Thirty-five years. How did you do it, Miss Deb? <laughs> and look, look at the fruit of this thing. Look at this guy. Y'all give it up for him. <laughs> we scared him to death. All right. Have you had enough? Anybody else have something you want to celebrate? Just stand and tell us right where you're at. Something you're celebrating, not, not a birthday, not an anniversary, just something good that the Lord has done in your life this week. Real quick, short version, so we can clap and hoot and holler. Anybody? God answered a prayer. Else. 
Y'all are getting into it. Come on, let's keep it going. You need a little more practice? Don't anybody move. It's like an auction. If you move, I'm calling on you. I almost called on you, Ron. Anybody else? Anybody else? Man, that is a miracle if a kid buys a parent dinner, right? <laughs> Anybody else? This is what I do when I don't have much sermon material, by the way. No, seriously, I wanted to leave some space for us to just celebrate together. Anybody else? Could be something serious. We won't, we'll clap little. Anybody? What's God doing in your life? Just tell us. A niece home after a month in the hospital. Amen. All right. Anybody else? Anybody? You got one? Anybody else? All right. Man, y'all did really good. Yeah, you did really good. We need to celebrate more what God is doing. Some of you don't want to get up and, and uh, you know, be embarrassed. Hope I didn't embarrass anybody too much. And it's just good to see that God is at work among his people. It's good to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. It really is. And so this is a fitting benediction. I'll ask you to stand as we close. A fitting benediction from Philippians chapter 4. And I think this is an invitation to each of our hearts to prepare to be the kind of person who can come together with the people of God and celebrate. Because we have cultivated rejoicing in our hearts. Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about those things. May the God of peace be with you. You're dismissed.